Wow, I love being here. I, uh, you know, as we go back over the previous series that we've been in, it's been a really important time as we begin to take a look at Summit Church and ask the question simply this, what kind of church, what are the characteristics, how do we see the church that God wants Summit to be? you get that? That's different. And you know, I even made the mistake some time ago, and you probably heard me, I say, let's determine what kind of a church we should be. It's a good statement if you follow it up with the kind of church that we want to become is the one that God is calling us to be in this time, this season, and in this place that I believe is critical right now to what God is doing. We've gone through that process, and I think as we continue this in the same series, our series is In Our House. For some of our new people, and if you didn't, you know, it is when your father says, in our house, it's always followed by something you would do or something you wouldn't do. But we're using this as a time to bring clarity to the mission that God has given us. The idea of reach, raise, and release, the impact of that and what that is to be. In the previous weeks, we talked about in our house and a fresh look at this. We talked about reach, to reach the heart of everyone. We acknowledge to you, we do not believe that God is saying for us to reach the heart. We believe God is calling upon Summit Church to provide a safe place for the Holy Spirit to reach your heart. That's what God wants to do. But we believe that that happens in a safe place with people we're safe to be with. And look, and as I acknowledge that, we're all at a different place on our journey, aren't we? Safe does not mean we are all at the exact same place and we're moving along at the exact same place. Really, the word safe means you're coming here and you're very unique and the place you're at is exactly where God wants you and we want to provide a safe place for everybody for the journey that they're on and the place. We talked about raising up. And we're raising up and believe God's calling us to raise up communities of faith. I love the word community, and I know family is used by God. You know, I can say it in Italian too, and familia, if you need that. But it's the idea that, you know, when Billy and I, and we get together with our kids and our grandkids, this may surprise you, but we look an awful lot alike. Go figure. But when I use the term and, and sometimes I know the term family and I know it's important because of values and that. But I also know this, in a community, when you walk down the street, you go get something to eat, you do life, your next door neighbor, guess what? We don't all look the same, do we? Uh, we're in different generations, we're different cultural backgrounds and so forth. We have some that are Spanish and people mistake it for Hawaiian, you know, and we have these conversations and so forth. But you know what? That's the richness of the community, isn't it? That God is bringing together. And we believe at Summit Church there is a richness in God's community. When we bring people together with all the varying backgrounds, colors of our skin, thoughts, experiences, so that we can grow stronger together for the impact that God has, that God's created us for. And then we have release. Our message today is simply release. 
We've been through reach, raise, and today is release. The big idea is the same big idea that I've shared over the last couple of weeks. Simply this. The purpose, the mission of Summit Church is to reach, raise, and release God's family into God's kingdom for God's purposes resulting in God's glory. That's why we're here. Is to reach, raise, and release God's family, okay, into God's kingdom for God's purposes for God's glory. And it's important as we look at that, and I love the word kingdom there because kingdom to me has a lot to do with this community we talk about. When you look at God's kingdom, boy, it's a kaleidoscope of colors, sizes, shapes, and everything, isn't it? But you know what? God created everyone, even the ones that disagree with us. Go figure. Who would think that? And so that's why we're here. There's an illustration here. And on this illustration, it's important to me because as we did this here in our house, we want you to see that this idea of reach, raise, release is not an annual thing that, okay, you know, January we'll reach. We're done. And maybe we'll try it again next year. This is a continuous process that we believe that God has us in. There's continuity, there's connectivity, that they overlap. This is the process that we're in here on a constant basis to create the safe place for the power of the Holy Spirit, God through his Holy Spirit, to reach the heart of each one of us. Then to create that safe place to raise up communities of faith and then to release. That is equip, train, empower, and release into the kingdom for God's purposes and for God's glory. So when we look at this here, you know, we ask God to confirm these words, and we walk through that process, and we believe that God right now on this issue of release, what he's saying to me is that you've got to know that you're not on earth by accident. You weren't just born, okay, as this biological happening, you were actually created with a purpose. You exist by divine creation for a divine purpose. You exist by divine creation for a divine purpose. That's what God's done with each one of you here, wherever we're at on the journey on this thing. And you know, when we look at this, your heart beats because God put a beating heart inside of you. God did that. You breathe because God created you to breathe and gave you the air to breathe. God did that. And it wasn't by accident. You are one of God's masterpieces. Man has tried to reproduce this process, create this, clone this. Man cannot do what God has done, and you are one of God's masterpieces. And the child that you're carrying is one of God's masterpieces that he has entrusted to you and that husband of yours. Just thought I'd throw that out. She knows who I mean. Maybe she doesn't, but I think she does. But you understand, you are one of God's masterpieces. And not, not only did God create you with a purpose, right? For a purpose, God gifted you specifically for that very purpose. You were created for this. You understand? And James 1.17 tells us this. Every good and every perfect gift 
is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We jump to the very end of that, by the way, and it says God doesn't change. You know, some people say, you know, I had a purpose, but I guess I blew it. No, you didn't. If God doesn't change the purpose in creation, divine creation, divine purpose, that hasn't changed either, okay? God redirects us. So there's some sitting here going, you know what? I, I thought at one time I had a purpose, but I missed that. No, you didn't. No, no. Because God doesn't put a void canceled. I, ex- I changed my mind on your purpose, your creation, and why you're here. And for many cases, God's just unraveling and kind of unpeeling that. You know, each of you has been given gifts, right? And some have that feeling that God didn't really gift them. And that's not true. We either have to believe in a holy God that created us and created us with a purpose and with gifts for that purpose, or here's the other part. If you don't believe that, here's our only other choice. Billions of years ago, in a far-off galaxy, there was this happening that took place, and as a result of that, there was this one-cell thing that was created, and then over time, that washed around in water or something, became two cells, and then who knows, four cells, and we know in billions of times it became this and that and evolved and that, so forth, and then it became a monkey and a baboon. And from that, we are here. I actually have people that say, I actually believe that. Most of the people that actually believe it, I think, have actually run for office, but we're going to let that go. <laughs> Some of you got that one, didn't you? No, but that's the, that's the choice we have. We either believe in this over here, this billions of years ago and so forth, or we believe, in fact, there's a God that did that. Just so you know, as your pastor, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Now, this is where I I love your faces when I say something like that. Here's my Big Bang Theory. God said it. Bang! It happened. We're done. God said it. Bang! It happened. See, that's my Big Bang, right? He created the heavens and the earth. Bang! It happened. And I know some of you get all hung up on this. Well, show me where a day was 24 hours. Come on. Seriously, I got so much I'm still learning. Here's what I do know. I didn't start as a one-cell whatchamadude, you know, thing that washed up out of the sea and ended up being a baboon that eventually became, no, no, no. So I know that God created it. My faith says God created it. I know that to be true. But you got to get that because when you get to that point and you understand that, guess what? then you got to understand, God doesn't make any mistakes, God doesn't make any junk, and you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose, and that's what God wants from us on that. So we look at this part here, you know, and I think, you know, people have actually said, Chuck, you know, you really believe that? It takes so much to believe that a God could do that. I said, really? Look at what you say you believe. Tell me what takes more ability to believe, or let's just say imagination is the fact that I believe in a God. Now get this, the people that say they don't believe in God but they're scientists, you know how they get around that? Well, we've all heard the term. 
Well, it's, uh, everything came about because of intelligent design. Really? Whose intelligence? I mean, somebody, if it's intelligent design, that's an intellect that created this and made it happen, right? Whose was it? I mean, because you can't have intelligent design without a person that has intelligence or a being that has intelligence, right? So even the ones that don't believe in God still claim God because they can't explain the order of the universe and what's happened here. And so we have to understand that God's got a plan for us here. And now we understand that now you got a gift. But why do you, are you gifted? Why wouldn't God just create us and say, look, just go exist for a little while. And, you know, I know you're not going to do it perfectly, even that existing thing. And so over time, what I will do is I will send my son who will die for you on a cross like that. And then you'll be in heaven with me. And that's basically the reason we're here is just to exist. I don't believe that. I don't believe God tells us that your life is meant to be a life of mere existence, just getting by. You know, if I could just get through this year, then I'll get through next year, and we'll work through this thing. In fact, God tells us in his word in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Pause. Now that we've already agreed that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, he is, this would just have easily been read to say, each of you should use whatever gift that God has given you, right? That he created you for, divine creation for a divine purpose with divine gifts for his glory. And so each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. I want to capture a word for us here. God didn't say as faithful servants to me. God didn't say use all of your gifts as a faithful slave to me. God said that the gifts you were given are to be used by you to serve others as a faithful steward. Now, that word steward has a very specific meaning. It means that you have been entrusted with something. You understand? It's not like, oh, listen, I got you something. It's on the table. Walk away. I don't really care what you do with that. It's not what God said. God said he literally entrusted to you something. That word, to steward that that has been entrusted to you. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? That is far different than saying, folks, here's what I want you to do as your pastor. I just want you to start using your gifts and serve somebody. Well, that's a great, that's a great statement. Not really. You know what the statement is? At some church, what we want to do is, every time I get close like this, my wife's looking at my feet going, I've seen him slip off things like that. Just, you need to back up a little, Chuck, okay? And I have. I've fallen off stages. It's okay, all right? And then I got back up and continued. That's what you do. But see, what God's saying is, it's not a gift that he gave you with this huge burden on it, right? Now serve others. It is this mentality that God says, do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I trust you? Do you know how much I believe in you? You're my son and my daughter, do you know that I want to entrust this to you because that's how much I love you. That's how much I trust you. That's how much I believe in you. And I want you to steward this aspect of your life because it is the good and perfect gift that could only come from a good father 
that creates us. And you know, in Matthew 25, it, uh, some of you are wondering how I'm reading this and my glasses are on my head, right? I put it in really big font because I don't like the glasses. It dawned on me that I didn't have my glasses on. Okay, we'll just work through this. If I can't be real here with you, the rest of it doesn't matter. Okay, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, tells a great story of the, the master, as they use that, is going away, and he selects three people, right? And he gives each one a different number of talents. Now, talent was a money. It represents, though, we could say talents with that. Think of the, think of the, the three that he spoke to. Think of it like a team leader you know, at, on our dream team, that he gave each one of them and entrusted to them and said, okay, here's what I've given. And so when he came back, the master said, to the one he gave five, and that one said, master, here's what I have done. And he says, I, I know you reap where you do not sow. And he said, but here's the deal. Here's 10 back. That's what I have done with what you entrusted to me. And he said, well done. And then he turned to the one that he gave two, and the one that he gave two gave him back four. See, he knew that something of value had been entrusted to him to steward, not just to hang on to, right? And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then what he said, the one that got one, he says, I buried it. Yeah, I couldn't take a chance on losing that thing, so I just buried it. And Jesus tells the story that the master was not very happy with him. In fact, he would take it away and give it to one that was a better steward, right? But here's the thing. Now in Matthew 25, 25, here's what the, that one, that last one said to him. He said, well, you know, why didn't you do something with this? And here's how he responds to this. He starts off with simply this. So I was afraid. Wow. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here's what is yours. Here, you have what is yours. What you started with is what you get. I didn't do anything with what you entrusted to me. And you know that Jesus uses this as an example here. But here's the, the real question on this then. I'm going to say this in love or try to. I'm sure afterwards somebody will tell me if I said it in love. If you're not doing anything with the gifts that God has given you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? There's got to be something. You're afraid that your gift doesn't matter as much as somebody else's gift and you'll be embarrassed? It's not true. Your gift is just as important in whatever measure and whatever type than any gift in this room, including mine or anybody else's. Your gift is just as important as anything poured into anybody else. You know, you say, but, you know, when I compare myself to... Isn't it always comparing to other people and it's never comparing it to what God's called you to do? Anytime somebody says, you know, when I compare this and whatever, isn't it comparing it to, well, you know, so-and-so, boy, they are so good. And then I've watched so-and-so. God's not asking you to compare yourself to anyone. Look, if there's three of us in the same room and we all look just alike doing the same thing with the same gifts, two of us are not needed your gifts to the kingdom. And I don't want you to be misled. Yes, we want to do a lot at Summit Church to help empower you to recognize your gifts, to give you opportunities. But in no way is your pastor what I say, and it's really not valid unless you're just serving at Summit. Oh my goodness, no. 
To see this church, and I think it was Rick Warren that said, the greatest indication of, the, of a great church is not the seating capacity, it's the sending capacity. What are we doing to launch you, to equip you, to train you, to empower you to walk in the fullness of all that God has for you and why he created you like that? So if you don't feel worthy, do you feel your gift is insignificant? You should have. What are you afraid of? What is it going to take? And this might be a prayer question for you when we're in our response time. What's it going to take for you to trust God about how he feels about you? What's it going to take for you to truly trust God about how he feels about you? Because I can tell you this. I can tell you for every guy in here, God looks at you and says, that's my boy. That is my son. Do you know every daughter in here? And by the way, when you look at the release conference, it's really focused on being a daughter of the king and walking in the fullness. Do you know for every lady in here? I can tell you how God looks at you because I've got a daughter. I've got granddaughters. I know how I look at them. I can tell that when he looks at every lady in here, God looks at you. He says, Sharia, that's my daughter. That's my daughter right there. And his heart just swells. And he says that and he calls you each by name. What is it going to take for you to trust God about how he feels about you? Because really, isn't that the determining factor that's going to guide the rest of your life until you get that right? You know, when we look at this, I... Uh, I want to share a story with you. I told our nine o'clock worship experience that John is my, one of my warrior brothers in Illinois, and I've got a group of them there for a number of reasons. Right there, he'll be watching this message tomorrow. John, just know I talked about you, buddy. He talked to me, he sent me a note a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Chuck, I just want to share my Promise Keepers story with you. And we both got a different track, but dealing with that ministry of Promise Keepers. And, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I felt bad that I didn't talk to him earlier. And then on Monday, I talked to him. And I said, I knew why I needed that story to be fresh for me this week. In 1994, and I, I've shared with some of you, Billy and I were there at Promise Keepers in 94. It was the first year they went to multiple conferences. 93, 92, you can back up. They had the one in Boulder. But in 1994, they went to six conferences. They actually went to seven because one in Tyler, Texas, they had an incredible storm that actually the lightning closed it down and, and so forth. And Billy and I and our boys, we were in um, Texas Stadium then in October when they redid that. John Pithers, Granite City, Illinois, that booming metropolis, the crossroads of the Midwest, uh, his brother-in-law had gotten tickets to this Promise Keeper thing in Indianapolis. Somebody had backed out, but the ticket was there and everything, and he asked John if he would go. And John said, seriously, I'm going to go in a stadium where they're preaching to a bunch of men and sing songs with a bunch of men? I don't think so. And then as he prayed over, he said, sure, I'll go with you. 
I'm very proud of my experience that God allowed me to be a part of it, Promise Keepers, but those conferences, we've, you know, just, and I've shared some of the stories from that. But in any event, John went there, and on a Friday, Saturday, at a Promise Keepers in 1994, Indianapolis, God turned John upside down, opened him up, he gave him a new heart, and he sent him back home to his family and to his church. John told me, he said he went home, and when he talked to Debbie, he said, you're getting a different husband back than the one you sent to the conference. And he couldn't hardly explain it. He told his kids, two of them, a son and a daughter, you're getting a different dad back than you one that you sent there. You know, it'd be good if the story stopped there and we could just say, boy, isn't that great how God takes something like that and changes one man's life. But this story doesn't stop there. John was at First Assembly of God, Granite City, Sam Hart's his pastor at the time. He goes back and gives his testimony. Two guys and their wives are great friends of mine now. Larry and Ray were sitting there with their wives. And as John shared what had happened, both wives tapped him and said, find out when the next one is, you're going. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many guys that's happened to. Okay? Bottom line is, Ray and Larry go, and God turns them upside down. Ray would end up on staff at Promise Keepers in the Illinois area. And he and John would work together with churches in the area. On one occasion, John was just at a volleyball game talking to the wife talking to the mother of one of the other players where his daughter was playing volleyball. And she said, tell me about this thing. And he's just different. And she says, you need to talk to my husband. He is going to that. Well, not only did he go, John went and spoke to their Catholic church and 12 guys from that church went to the next conference. But here's the thing. John then is serving and Ray is on staff. And one of the things that John did was he would serve different speakers and just be their, you know, their, their, their Nathan, their form, just whatever they needed in that, you know, their armor bearer in a sense, you know. And so in any event, he's at one of the conferences, St. Louis, been there. He's walking through the tunnel. He went to get something for the speaker and God speaks to him. He said, there's only two times that I can remember. He said that God spoke audibly to me and I could literally hear it. One time he was working on a railroad track and the guy before him had shut off the alarm on the track because it was bothering him at night. As the train would go, the ding, ding, ding and all of that. So he just shut off the switch. I mean, it's dark, who cares? The next day, John is working on the railroad track and as clear as anything, God spoke to him and said, John, get off the track. He looked around to see who was speaking. He was the only one there. And now, with a sterner voice, as God the Father would do, he said, John, get off the track now. John got up, he stepped back, and he had no idea what was happening until he saw the train at full speed coming around the corner that would have come to him. The second time was at the PK conference, St. Louis, Missouri, walking through the corridor. And God spoke to him and he says, John, what are you doing for me? He looked around to see who was talking to him. Had to be somebody from his church or something. Nobody there. God asked him again. He looked around and he said, God, I'm here. I'm serving at a conference. He goes, I understand. 
That's once or twice a year. But what are you really doing for me? And John began to pray. He went back into the conference the next day. He goes to his church, Granite City. Over the night and the following morning, God had put it on his heart to see if his pastor would allow him to lead the men's ministry because they didn't have anybody. The next morning, he went into Pastor Hart's office. He knocks on the door. Pastor Hart's wife opens the door. and Pastor Hart's in prayer, but he looks up and says, come on in, John. John says, Pastor, I know it probably doesn't make much sense, but I just believe God's put it on my heart that I'm supposed to lead the men's ministry for you here. And the pastor started getting tears. John's six foot eight, maybe nine, big dude. So he's watching him cry and, you know, go. He said, you know, his first thought is, man, did I hurt this guy's feeling? And pastor tells him, he said, John, I was just on my knees praying that God would send a man that would step in and lead the men of this church. I was just on my knees praying for God to send a man. Oh, but then it doesn't end. Remember I told you there was Larry and Ray. See, Ray ends up on staff. In 1998, April, Ray I had met on a couple of occasions. He was in a different area, but we had known each other. He asked me if I would come in and speak at the prayer breakfast, the mayor's prayer breakfast in Granite City. Sure. I get in there, and in 1998, the ministry was me and Billy. She would print out on a dot matrix printer. What are the three guys or ladies that know what I'm talking about there? Okay, got it. There you go. Dot matrix printer. And then I would fill in my schedule, and Ray said, Chuck, let me see that schedule after I'd heard, I talked about the ministry. He says, who's helping you with this? I said, Ray, Billy runs the office. She's got the accounting. She's got all of the admin, everything. And I'm out trying to develop the ministry. He goes, no, seriously, who's helping you? (laughs) As men, I said, you don't listen very well, do you? And uh, I think his wife was in the other room going, no, he doesn't. But that's another story. I just talked to them on the phone this morning coming to church. And he says, you can't do this by yourself. I said, no kidding, Dick Tracy. He goes, what's your next thing? And I was to be in Knoxville, Tennessee, speaking at a conference. He goes, okay, I can help you for a season, April 1998. Ray is still on the board. I just talked to him, and he and I will be in Detroit together ministering to men in March. He says he keeps praying for a release, and I keep praying that God won't release him, and he's still with us. Tell me who the prayer warrior is. Okay. In the years since 1998, from John Pithers to sharing a testimony to Ray going to his first conference, he and I connecting then, Ray and I have traveled to six foreign countries and 35 states across America sharing the gospel and the number of men that God has reached because of Ray himself just being there. We can't even begin to count. That's the story of a man that went to his pastor and said, God put it on my heart to operate in my gifts. And the pastor is saying, buddy, I will release you to do that. You have no idea how desperate I have been and crying out to God. I believe with all of my heart, every one of you have a reason to be here. Every one of you have a reason to be here.
I'm not going to sit here with a list of things and say, Luke, this is what you need to do. Glad you brought Lily and Elaine. Elaine, come next week. I've got a job for you too. Same with you, Travis. See you next week, buddy. Okay. But I don't, I don't have that. Here's what I do have. I have a church that God has given me and Billy the privilege of being here with, and I am desperately in love with Jesus, which forces me to be in love with you. I am desperate about wanting God to reach each one of us, that we can be a church that equips and trains and powers and launches for God's glory. That's the desire of my heart in this church. And so I'll come back to the same question in a sense. What's it going to take for you to trust God about how he feels about you? What's it going to take for you to say, I think I'm ready to do something here. God, use me. And maybe some of church can help you in that process because we want to. Starting next week is the growth track. Each week, it's designed to help you identify gifts. It's designed to help you see. But it's not designed to keep you in our little world right here. It's designed to equip you. And if that's serving here at Summit Church, believe me, God's got great plans. But if that's what it takes to equip you to say, I've been after something that God sent me to a long time ago, but I just haven't done it yet, we want to be a part of that, saints. We want to be a part of that in your life. Do you understand? And so when we look at this here, we're going to transition now. We're going to go into a time of response, but we're also going to take communion together. Let me tell you first on this. In our time of response, we're going to have our prayer team on both sides. The cross is there. And I ask you before, would you take a look at that board when you go out and maybe you just pray right there and say, God, what are you telling me about this church? What is the characteristic or the sentence? But at this point right here, we want to help you respond. And one of the things that we feel very committed to is that God is calling us to obedience. There are two sacraments that God has given us. And for many, the word sacrament brings to our minds the idea of something in Catholicism or an orthodox or liturgical. A sacrament is really a holy, sacred, that's where we get it, sacred act that we're doing in obedience. What God is telling us with that is a sacrament, and we did baptism last week. Just so you know, I'm just going to say in that way, you'll get it. These are our young people from our, our middle school. They're Come on in and sit with your families, please, and we're going to make sure you have the communion elements. But we've decided as a church, we want to make sure they're a part of the things that are so important to all of our lives as families here. So is this great or what? That thrills me. Thank you, Jordan. And so in any event, when we look at the sacrament of communion, just as baptism, it's a holy act of obedience which was commanded by Jesus Christ. This is what it is for me. It is something that we do to indicate our understanding of the divine grace. You know, when we grab on to the divine grace of God that he's extended to each one of us in the life, death, resurrection, and the sac ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ for each one of us. That's what communion is to me. 
It is following in obedience that we understand the grace that God has given us, that we know Jesus Christ by faith through the grace of God. Do we get this? That's what we get in this. And so that's the part of this. Now, here's the thing. There are two requirements. We practice open communion at Summit Church. And what that means is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to take communion. And there's only two things that God tells us that we that are the the pieces that have to be in place to take communion and to be baptized by the way those are the two and the only two in the church that we say are limited to but expressly for followers of Jesus Christ number 1 to take communion you have to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your lord and savior now before you jump ahead of me i'm going to give you an opportunity for that in just a moment But it's important that we understand that the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, number one. The number two thing, and Paul tells us this in the scriptures. He tells us this, that we have to examine ourselves and, you know, refine that refiner's fire, purify, but cleanse ourselves from any hindrance, which he would say is sin and being not perfect, you know, this idea that we ask God to forgive us before we receive communion. It's not something we do one-on-one. It's something you're going to have an opportunity to do right where you sit. It's a personal act between you and God. Nobody's going to ask you about it. You don't have to sign anything. You got it? So those are the two things. In fact, Paul tells us in Scripture in 1 Corinthians, let a person examine himself, then So eat the bread and drink of the cup. He's saying, you've got to prepare yourself for this. Okay, so the two things there. As I said here at Summit Church, we practice open communion. Meaning today, if you say, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and we'll have a moment that you can take away anything that you feel like is a hindrance from that. I'm going to do two things as we pray here and so forth and we'll have the opportunity if you don't have if you don't have the cups but here's the very first thing i'm not a complicated guy and we're not going to do emotionalism and you know kind of bait and switch i'm going to ask you to directly do you know jesus does jesus know you before you would take the cup with the bread and the juice do you know jesus and does jesus know you So here's what's going to happen. I like to just tell you in advance what I'm going to say, and I'm going to tell you in advance what's going to happen, okay? In just a second, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads with me. I'm going to pray and ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to connect with you. And I'm going to ask you a simple question. Do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? If you're watching us online, I'm going to ask you that same question for you right where you're sitting. But I'm going to ask you that. And then I'm going to say, if there's anyone in here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who died on a cross for you, and today is your day, I'm going to ask you to acknowledge that and raise your hand. That's all. Nobody's coming to you or anything. I will ask you. So if anyone raises their hand, we have packets and gifts for you at each prayer table. That is a gift from us. 
But that's all I'm going to ask of you because I believe that personal relationship is between you and God, and we're to create the safe place that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make the decisions you need to make. Everybody with me? That's going to be my first thing. We're going to do it now. Bow your head, please. Father, we thank you and we love you. We acknowledge, Father, that your word says the only way to the Father is through the Son. That your Son, Father, came, born, walked this earth, was tried, crucified, dead, buried, was resurrected. And his shed blood, his broken body, paid the price for our sins. I pray for each person here, Father. And I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, and you say, this is their time. If you do not have that assurance, if Jesus Christ were standing here, that you could call him by name, and he would look at you, call you by name, and say, I will present you spotless to our Father. If you do not have that assurance, say, today is my day. Just raise your hand right where you're at. I take everybody in here on your word. I love that. I'm going to ask you now, raise your head, if any of you do not have the individual cups to take communion, would you raise your hand and we have people that will bring them to you. Is there anyone that needs a cup that doesn't have one? Okay. Now here's what's going. We have one, two, right over here. Good. Please. Thank you, Rob. Anybody else need a cup? Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back into a time of prayer because in that time, I'm going to ask you to seek God's heart and say, Father, is there anything that I need to confess that is keeping me from being with you? Okay? So if there's anything there and you confess that to God privately right where you're sitting, while you're doing that, I'm going to have the privilege of serving our team up here. Father, we thank you. We love you. As we bow our heads, bring before us anything that should be confessed to you in preparation to take communion. Okay, I'm going to ask you to join me now. The very first thing we're going to do is if you will take that first thin piece off the top, that will give you access to the wafer, to the bread. Would you take that now and open that up? On the night before he was betrayed, Jesus first took the bread. He broke the bread and he passed it to the disciples and he said to each one of them, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When they all had the bread, he blessed it, said, Father, would you bless this as the representation of my body that will be broken for all of my people. Let's take the bread together. Likewise, after the service, he took the cup of wine and he blessed it and said, Father, bless this, the shedding of my blood, literally, to cover the sins of all of your people. And then he passed the cup and he said to each one of them, this is my blood that will be shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Literally, when we listen to it, it is whenever you do this, remember me. Let's take the cup together. For me, it is important to remember that the bread and the wine 
were served at every meal in Jesus' time. And what Jesus was literally saying and his encouragement to us is simply this. Every time you do this, remember me and the sacrifice I am making for you. As our worship team leads us back into our worship experience, I just wanna thank you for being here. I wanna encourage you. Ask the questions that only God can answer for you. If you need prayer, our team is there. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you, Father. Father, we ask you, touch each one of us through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would hold nothing back from you. And we ask all of this in the wonderful, precious, incredible name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's family said, amen.